soul. The Last Supper has come and gone. And Jesus' final moments with his disciples praying in the garden near the Mount of Olives didn't go quite as he had hoped it. Like my wife and I trying to sit and watch a movie, she always falls asleep, and so did the disciples. And then Jesus was betrayed, as we know the story goes, Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples who, dis, who, who, who what? He betrayed him with a what? The kiss. And then he was handed over to the Jewish leaders so they could question him. And the religious, religious leaders wanted to officially find him guilty of two things, primarily. One, blaspheming God. Blaspheming God. And two, in relation, specifically, giving false testimony by admitting that he was the son of God and the promised Messiah as foretold by the prophets of the Old Testament. Like this is what, I don't know if you get this, this is the reason why the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. Because Jesus claimed that he was the son of God and that he was the Messiah and that he was God. And I know in our current culture, there is a lot of talk about, well, you know, the Bible never captures Jesus saying that he is God. Well, first of all, it, it does. But Jewish leaders at this time had tons of people who were coming up and claiming that they were the Messiah. But none of them ever said that they were the Son of God. And so this was a very specific situation where the Jewish leaders felt like, this has gone to another level, and so therefore we must take this seriously. And so what did they do? Well, they found him guilty. They found him guilty of a sin that is punishable by death. And so, having had their trial, the Jewish leaders brought Jesus to the Roman authorities, which is interesting because they had their own jury, so to say. Why bring them to the Roman authorities? Well, that's what John tells us here today. John chapter 18, verse 28, says this. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning, and they did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Now, Caiaphas is the high priest of the Jewish leaders. He's one of them. He's actually... Um, historians say he's the son of Annas, who's the other high priest that he was brought in earlier in John chapter 18, that Jesus was brought to. And so Caiaphas was obviously given the task of taking now this guilty Jesus to the Roman authorities for what reason? Well, we're going to find out in a second, but we find something very particular here in this situation, which if you've heard, read this passage or heard someone preach about it, you'll, you'll hear them talk about this a lot. Here you have a situation where the Jews are about to bring Jesus forth because they want him dead, right? They're willing to participate in murder, but they can't get defiled. Like, oh, we, we don't want to be defiled. We can't enter into this Gentile place. In fact, many historians point to the fact that the Talmud, which is uh, part of the Jewish written history and law and all that kind of stuff, uh, a central text of mainstream Judaism, which 
consists primarily of discussion and commentary of Jewish history, customs, and their culture. This actually alludes to this fact that the reason why a Jew would uh, not want to enter into a Gentile house, especially a Roman house, was that uh, it was very common that the Romans aborted their babies. It was very, very common, right? They had, they had uh, a very, um, they had a, what's the word? Is it eugenics? Or I, I forget, but like they had this view, like, you know, we, we only wanted the best to survive. And so if, if, uh, if a baby, they didn't think, uh, you know, if they didn't want a baby, they would kill it to, to make sure that they get the one they wanted. And so well, they would often kill this baby and they would flush them down the drains. And this is very common practice in this world. And so because of this belief, and, and the Talmud talks about this, they said, stay away out of these people's homes because you might touch a dead body. And of course, we know from Numbers chapter 9 that if you touch a dead body, you're unclean for seven days. And guess what's coming up? A big holiday for the Jews, which is what? Passover. And so you don't want to have to miss out on Passover. Sure, we'll go kill Jesus, but man, we got to have some lamb and we got to have some, right? Like this is, this is the, do you see the duplicity? Do you see the hypocrisy that's kind of happening in this scenario? And so the religious leaders brought Jesus to the Roman, uh, Jesus to the Roman palace of the Roman governor by the name of Pilate. And if you read this next section too quickly, you can actually miss the drama that's about to unfold. I don't know about you, but I like some good drama. And this is good. In fact, I would say this could have made Jerry Springer back in the day. Let's take a look at this. John chapter 18, verse 29. Here it goes. So Pilate came out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Duh. This is the equivalent of a very common conversation that happens in my house where, um, like, Leona asks me to do something, like, take out the trash. And uh, oftentimes, you know, she'll say, honey, I need you to can you take out the trash. And maybe I'm in a mood. And I say something like, uh, well, do you want me to do this now or do you want me to do it later? To which she replies, well, if... I wanted you to do it later. I would have asked you later. So get your butt up and do it now, <laughs> right? This is kind of the scenario that's going on. Like if it weren't, if he wasn't a criminal, we would have brought him to you. Like, what do you think we are? Chop liver, stupid. And so how does Pilate respond to this kind of pettiness? Cause it is pettiness. It is pettiness. Verse 31, he goes, fine. You take him. You judge him for yourself according to your laws. In other words, well, if it's so important for you to have the trash taken out now, why don't you just do it yourself? Mm-hmm. And how does that go for any husband who says that to their wife? Not very well. In fact, I've never said it because I'm still alive. I'd be dead. And then verse 31, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. And since I'm already committed to this illustration... And I'll probably hear about it later. Um, This reply of the Jews would be equivalent to Leona saying, well, fine, I'll take out the trash, but you can finish cooking the dinner, right? And all joking aside, the Jews could not lawfully, what was going on here is that the Jews could not lawfully, by under Roman law, execute someone 
under Roman jurisdiction. In fact, uh, I was doing some study about this, and, and this is really, really interesting. And I, I couldn't find the exact—I was just doing some studying and hearing some commentators, but I couldn't find the original text. Uh, but according to some scholars, the Romans actually uh, passed a law that the Jews, well, and really anyone within Roman jurisdiction couldn't execute the death penalty because it was something out of noble. They wanted to have like fair trial. They wanted to do that, but they couldn't do it on their own. And according to Jewish, um, to Jewish tradition, like the ability to execute this command of God to, you know, stone the, 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 the evil one or like felt like such, felt like such, uh, uh, like God had left for them. And it was, it was, it was, it was an amazing thing that, that, uh, that this would happen in this, they said it happened about 40 years before the destruction of the temple, which destruction of the temple happened around 70 AD. And so that was around what? 30 AD. And so when this happened, um, again, I don't know, I haven't verified all this, but I just think it's interesting for the short. I don't know if this interests you, but it's interesting that the Jews at this time felt like God had left them because the Romans had taken away this right to, to, you know, to execute people. Now, of course, you're like, what about Stephen? Well, it seems like history tells us that spontaneous killings by the Jews uh, were often just kind of swept under the rug. Like, okay, well, we'll just ignore this one. But because Jesus was such a big deal, they had to, they, they really want to get this through. But anyways, uh, what I was saying was, it's interesting that the Jews felt like God had left them when in fact God was now among them. Anyway, it's just really, really interesting when you take a look at this stuff. And so the Jews couldn't kill Jesus legally. And they also remember the whole thing about the dead body. You know, like, ah, don't want to be guilty of that kind of stuff. And so let's let the Romans do our dirty work for us. And here we have the perfect case for someone skeptical, 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 that's a new word. See? Yeah, skeptical. And here we have the perfect case for someone skeptical about Jesus and the Bible to ask this question. You've probably asked this question maybe sometime. I know I have. How can an all-loving God allow his only son to go through this? How can an all-loving God allow this to happen? And this happen. And this is this is a totally valid question that can go unanswered if you only hear about the story of the gospel in sound bites, right? If you only hear about the story in sound bites, but listen, when you read the scriptures book by book, line by line, word by word, you will find that amid a storyline that appears to incite God as being unloving, uncaring, impotent, God is actually proven to be full of love, filled with care, and overflowing with the kind of power that can raise Jesus from the dead. This is our God. This is why John gives this as commentary to those he was writing this account of Jesus' time before Pilate in verse 32. uh, John puts this little commentary and he says this. He goes, they said this so that Jesus' words 
might be fulfilled. Indicating what kind of death he was going to die. You know, this is so interesting in this, in this part of the story. The Jewish leaders, they thought they were in control. They got him. They got him. They got this guy. This so-called Jesus uh, king of the Jews, but he really is from Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? We got him. And they believed that they were the ones calling the shots. We got him. We got him right where we want him. And in their minds, they believed they were getting rid of this nuisance and threat to their religious traditions. But little did they know that they would be part of helping accomplish what Jesus already predicted about himself. That he would not die a typical death at Jewish hands. And for those of you who have read the scriptures and understand Jewish history, how would the Jews typically execute someone? What would they do? They would stone them. They would cast them down and then they would stone them. And they didn't know that Jesus had planned and had worked this all ahead. And he had said that he would be what? Instead of thrown down in stone, he would be lifted up. He talked about this many times. John 3, 14, John 8, 28, John 12, 32 to 34. Jesus repeated this over. Everyone who was around Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that, Je- everyone knew that Jesus was going to die being lifted up. And so here, here, I mean, if the Jews had any amount of like, I don't know, if they were paying attention at all, which you could tell they weren't paying attention, they would know like, wait a minute, we can't have him crucified because then like, oh, like that'll happen. That'll be true. But God was using the Pharisees to help accomplish what God himself wanted to do. The Jewish leaders wanted to try Jesus for being a liar. (laughs) But in their actions, they actually proved Jesus to be the very person that he said he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Because if you can predict your death and live to tell about it and live to talk about it, well, guess what? You can say, I am the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And this is why Jesus is referred to as being the true and better Joseph, by the way. If you know Joseph, he was sold by his brothers who despised him. He was the favorite of God, of, of, of the sons. And then Later on, when he was confronted by his brothers who sold him into slavery, he said this, Hey, brothers, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result. Listen, the survival of many people. Jesus alluded to this when he spoke to a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus who who was asking him, like, what does it mean, this thing, to be born again, to be saved by being born again? When he said this, he told him this, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And seeing that he could not convince Jewish leaders to leave him alone about Jesus, Pilate decided to have his own investigation. Verse 33. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and said to him, 
Are you, are you, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? In other words, Jesus was asking, he was saying, are you asking because you, you, you want to know whether I'm trying to lead a rebellion against Rome? Or are you asking because you actually really want to know if I am this promised Messiah, the King of the Jews? Like, what are you asking? To which Pilate says, <laughs> I'm not a Jew, am I? In other words, I don't give a care whether you're the king of the Jews or not. (laughs) I just want to know, are you here to cause trouble? That's why he says, your own nation and chief priest handed you over to me. Tell me, what have you done? And sounding almost offended, Pilate says, look, I don't care if you call yourself king of the Jews. I'm not a Jew. Just tell me why the Jewish leaders are so offended at you calling yourself the promised king and Messiah. Because to me, like, eh, you're nobody. I mean, we have people everywhere claiming to be someone and get in line. Why are the Jewish leaders so intent on seeing that you are killed, that I kill you? Like, why? And in this one verse, Jesus powerfully communicates next two things that every follower of Jesus needs to remind themselves of. Here's what Jesus says in verse 36. If there's a verse that you need to, if you want a memory verse, (laughs) this is it. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Two things that you need to know that I think is super powerful about what Jesus communicates here. The first thing is this, that Jesus' kingdom is not limited by this world. The kingdom of God is not limited to this world world. The kingdom of God will include the happenings in this world and ultimately when the new kingdom is established here. But it's not just all about what's happening in this world. And this is important to remember because so much of what concerns us happens in the realities of what? This world. This world. And as I said last week, it's so easy for us to become overwhelmed with the concerns of this world, right? But as much as we are concerned about the things of this world, followers of Jesus should be more concerned about seeking first the kingdom of God. In his book, God in Government, a very interesting book, by the way, if if you ever want to read. Um, An author by the name of Chuck Colson writes this. He says, when Christ commanded his followers to seek first the kingdom of God, he was exhorting them to seek to be ruled by God and gratefully acknowledge his power and authority over them. 
That means that the Christian's goal is not to strive to rule, but to be ruled. And that... And that's written by an American (laughs) who has written something really very un-American. I said this a while ago, but one of the things that just disgusts me is when I see people in the name of Jesus mix this idea of kingdom-minded living, but also this idea of like, their politics and and they and they they bring it together and and it creates this new kind of icky type of religion because they kind of feel like their religion is now permission to impose a rule in the nation upon which they live i just want to let you know this until jesus comes back and this is i know this probably won't be popular with people but I just got to say it. I don't know if you know this. America will never be a Christian nation. It's never been a Christian nation. It isn't because the only, the only Christian nation is a nation that does not exist in this world. Okay? I don't feel... Weren't there Christian principles? Okay, yeah, we can talk about that. But this has never been and will never be a Christian nation. And so therefore... We, as followers of Jesus, need to realize that we are the nation. We are the people who are part of the kingdom of God. And our goal is not to rule with our desires, but instead, first and foremost, be ruled by God. I wonder... I wonder what the conversation about the church and its involvement with politics would look like if they were known more for how much they wanted to be, that they wanted to be ruled by God. That every aspect, that their marriages would want to be ruled by God. That the way they interacted with other people would be ruled by God. That the way that they loved their neighbor would be ruled by God. That the way that they treated those who were the forgotten and uh, disrespected and, and the least of these. I wonder, I wonder what the world would, would, would think about Christians if they were ruled by God in the way that they loved those who didn't look like them, talk like them, vote like them, think like them. I wonder what. Maybe they would go, man, these people really look a lot like Jesus, I wonder. And so, first, Jesus' kingdom is not limited by this world. And second, servants of King Jesus fight for heavenly causes. Now, when Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to Jesus, Jesus clearly distinguishes how the servants of his kingdom And I'll put it in quotes, fight, okay? And in many ways, I believe he was drawing a contrast to the way that the Jewish leaders were fighting. You see, the Jewish leaders not only found significance in participating in the judgment that would bring the death of Jesus, they had their beliefs, and they they were going to enact their beliefs and make it happen, and they were going to judge, and they were going to rule, 
But they hypocritically also found significance in not defiling themselves by entering the governor's headquarters. So yet they were trying to be righteous in this one way, but yet they were hypocritical in another way. Like they thought they were carrying out God's law, but really they were actually breaking one of the major ten ones, which says what? Thou shalt not kill. Which begs the question, <laughs> what is it that you, or maybe that's, that's too offensive, what is it that I, what is it that I am tempted to have such, such strong feelings and convictions about that I'm willing to put up what I believe is a holy fight, yet not carry the same passion for that which Jesus died for, the salvation of everyone who would believe in Jesus as their Savior. Like, like, what is it in my life that I would be so passionate about that I would ignore the fact that Jesus died so we could be passionate about living what he lived for? Like if I ask the people in your everyday rhythms to tell me what top three things you are passionate about, would sharing and demonstrating the gospel be on the top of that list? Like if I asked your coworker, hey, tell me about so-and-so, are they passionate about sharing and demonstrating the gospel? Okay, and I get it. Maybe that's too harsh. Like, oh, Phil, you're just kind of putting it out there. Okay. You think you should be part of the top three things that we're passionate about? Maybe? Top three? Top three? Top five? Top five? So let me ask you a question. If I ask the people in your circles of influence, like, hey, what are the top five things that this person's passionate about? Would they say, oh, yeah, they're really passionate about sharing gospel. They're really passionate about Jesus. Like, would that even come in the top five? I don't know. I mean, that's just a question. If Jesus were to speak to you about what you have concern in your heart about, would he look at you and look at your concern and go, hey, well done. Well done. Or would he say what he told Martha in Luke chapter 10 when he said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and you are worried about many things. But you missed. You missed the one thing that is actually needed. Okay, I'll let you off the hook. That was a little heavy preaching. Verse 37. You're a king then, Pilate asked. Well, you say I'm a king, Jesus replied. And then he says something very interesting here. He goes, I was born for this. And I have come into the world for this. I don't have time to go into this. But he says, I was born for this. Like this, I am human and I came to the world to this but I'm also fully God. I existed before. I am. And why? To testify to the truth. Everyone is of the truth. 
who listens to my voice. To which Pilate says, well, what is truth? And after he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. And like Pilate, (laughs) the world wants to know who Jesus is, not so they can serve him, but to find out whether or not he's a threat to the realities of their everyday lives. Pilate didn't really care to know if Jesus was the Messiah who could save people from their sins. He just wanted to know, like, hey, are you going to cause trouble for me? Are you going to make my life difficult? Are you going to make things uncomfortable for me? Because if you are, you know, I got to do something. But, of course, once they find out that he is not threatful, that he's not threatening, that you could actually live your life without the realities of Jesus bothering you, (laughs) then like Pilate, it's easy to throw your hands up and go, what is truth? And just walk away. And I hope that we as followers of Jesus would embrace this truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him.